Chapter Forty of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which a most horrid spectre disturbs the equanimity of Mr. Van Slyperken. Two days was the cutter striving with light winds for the Texel, during which Mr. Van Slyperken kept himself altogether in his cabin. He was occasionally haunted with the memory of the scene in his mother's room, smallbones dead, and the stream of blood running along the floor, and his mother's diabolical countenance, with the hammer raised in her palsied hands. But he had an instigator to his vengeance beside him, which appeared to relieve his mind whenever it was oppressed. It was the stump of Snarleyow, and when he looked at that he no longer regretted, but congratulated himself on the deed being done. His time was fully occupied during the day, for with locked doors he was transcribing the letters sent to Ramsay and confided to him. He was not content with taking extracts, as he did of the government dispatches for Ramsay. He copied every word, and he replaced the seals with great dexterity. At night his mind was troubled, and he dared not lay himself down to rest until he had fortified himself with several glasses of Sheetham. Even then his dreams frightened him, but he was to be more frightened yet. Corporal Van Spitter came into the cabin on the third morning with a very anxious face. "'My God! My near Van Slyperken, the whole crew be in the mutinies!' "'Mutiny?' exclaimed Van Slyperken. "'What's the matter?' "'They say, sir, that they see de ghost of smallbones last night on de bowsprit, with one great cut on his head, and de blood all over de face.' "'Saw what? Who saw him?' "'My God, my dear, it all true. I really think I see it myself at the taffrail. He sit there and have great wound from here down to here.' said the corporal, pointing to his own head and describing the wound exactly. The people say he must have been murdered, and they kick up the mutiny. I did not do it, corporal, at all events, replied Van Slyperken, pale and trembling. So Smallbones tell Dick Short when he speak to him on bowsprit. Did it speak to Short? inquired Van Slyperken catching the corporal's arm. "'Yes, mynheer. Mynheer Short speak first, and then the ghost say that you not do it, but that you give gold to old woman to do it, and she knock him brain out vid the hammer.' To portray Van Slyperken's dismay at this intelligence would be impossible. He could not but be certain that there had been a supernatural communication. His knees knocked and trembled, and he turned sick and faint. "'Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, Corporal, I am a great sinner,' cried he at last, quite unaware of what he was saying. "'Some water, Corporal.' Corporal Van Spitter handed some water, and Van Slyperken waved his hand to be left alone. And Mr. Van Slyperken attempted to pray, but it ended in blaspheming. "'It's a lie!' "'All a lie!' exclaimed he at last, pouring out a tumbler of Sheetham. 
they have frightened the corporal. But, no, he must have seen him, or how could they know how he was murdered? He must have told them. And him I saw dead and stiff with these own eyes. Well, I did not do the deed, continued Vanslyperken, attempting to palliate his crime to himself. But it would not do and Mr. Vanslyperken paced the little cabin, racked by fear and guilt. Remorse he felt none, for there was before his eyes the unhealed stump of Snarleyow. In the evening Mr. Vanslyperken went on deck. The weather was now very warm, for it was the beginning of July, and Mr. Vanslyperken, followed by Snarleyow, was in a deep reverie, and he turned and turned again. The sun had set, and Mr. Vanslyperken still continued his walk, but his steps were agitated and uneven, and his face was haggard. It was, rather, the rapid and angry pacing of a tiger in his den, who has just been captured, than that of a person in deep contemplation. Still, Mr. Vanslyperken continued to tread the deck, and it was quite light with a bright and pale moon. The men were standing here and there about the forecastle, and near the booms, in silence, and speaking in low whispers, and Vanslyperken's eye was often directed towards them, for he had not forgotten the report of the corporal that they were in a state of mutiny. Of a sudden Mr. Vanslyperken was roused by a loud cry from forward, and a rush of all the men aft. He thought that the crew had risen and that they were about to seize him. But, on the contrary, they passed him and hastened to the taffrail with exclamations of horror. "'What? What is it?' exclaimed Vanslyperken, fully prepared for the reply by his own fears. "'O oh, Lord, have mercy upon us!' cried Bill Spurry. "'Good God, deliver us!' exclaimed another. "'Ah, oh, my God!' screamed Jansen rushing against Vanslyperken and knocking him down on the deck. "'Well, well, murder will out, that's certain,' said Cobble, who stood by Vanslyperken when he had recovered his legs. "'What? What?' exclaimed Vanslyperken, breathless. "'There, sir, look there,' said Cobble, breathless, pointing to the figure of Smallbones, who now appeared from the shade in the broad moonshine.' His head was not bound up, and his face appeared pale and streaked with blood. He was in the same clothes in which he had gone on shore, and in his hand he held the hammer which had done the deed. The figure slowly advanced to the quarter-deck. Vanslyperken attempted to retreat, but his legs failed him. He dropped down on his knees, uttered a loud yell of despair, and then threw himself flat on the deck, face downwards. Certainly the pantomime was inimitably got up, but it had all been arranged by Moggy, the corporal, and the others. There was not one man of the crew who had not been sworn to secrecy, and whose life would have been endangered if, by undeceiving Vanslyperken, they had been deprived of such just and legitimate revenges. Smallbones disappeared as soon as Vanslyperken had fallen down. He was allowed to remain there for some time, to ascertain if he would say anything, but as he still continued silent, 
They raised him up and found that he was insensible. He was consequently taken down into the cabin and put into his bed. The effect produced by this trial of Mr. Vanslyperken's nerves was most serious. Already too much heated with the use of ardent spirits, it brought on convulsions, in which he continued during the major part of the night. Towards the morning he sank into a perturbed slumber. It was not till eleven o'clock in the forenoon that he awoke and perceived his faithful corporal standing by the side of the bed. "'Have I not been ill, corporal?' said Mr. Vanslyperken, whose memory was impaired for the time. "'Mein Gott, yes, mynheer.' "'There was something happened, was not there?' "'Mein Gott, yes, mynheer.' "'I've had a fit, have I not?' "'Mein Gott, yes, mynheer.' "'My head swims now. What was it, corporal?' "'It was de ghost of de boy.' replied the corporal. Yes, yes, replied Van Slyperken, falling back on his pillow. It had been intended by the conspirators that Smallbones should make his appearance in the cabin as the bell struck one o'clock. But the effect had already been so serious that it was thought advisable to defer any further attempts. As for Smallbones being concealed in the vessel for any length of time, there was no difficulty in that, for allowing that Van Slyperken should go forward on the lower deck of the vessel, which he never did, Smallbones had only to retreat into the eyes of her, and it was there so dark that he could not be seen. They therefore regulated their conduct much in the same way as the members of the Inquisition used to do in former days. They allowed their patient to recover, that he might be subjected to more torture. It was not until the fourth day that the cutter arrived at the port of Amsterdam, and Mr. Van Slyperken had kept his bed ever since he had been put into it. But this he could do no longer. He rose weak and emaciated, dressed himself, and went on shore with the dispatches, which he first delivered, and then bent his steps to the syndic's house, where he delivered his letters to Ramsay. The arrival of the cutter had been duly notified to the widow Vandersloosh before she had dropped her anchor, and in pursuance with her resolution she immediately dispatched Babette to track Mr. Vanslyperken and watch his motions. Babette took care not to be seen by Mr. Vanslyperken, but shrouding herself close in her cotton-print cloak she followed him to the Stadthouse and from the Stadthouse to the mansion of Mynheer Van Krause, at a short distance from the gates of which she remained till he came out. Wishing to ascertain whether he went to any other place, she did not discover herself until she perceived that he was proceeding to the widow's. She then quickened her pace so as to come up with him. "'Oh, Mynheer Van Slyperken, is this you? I heard you had come in.' and so did my mistress, and she has been expecting you this last half-hour. I have made all haste I can, Babette, but I was obliged to deliver my dispatches first, replied Vanslyperken. But I thought you always took your dispatches to the Stadthouse. Well, so I do, Babette. I have just come from thence. This was enough for Babette. 
It proved that his visit to the syndics was intended to be concealed. She was too prudent to let him know that she had traced him. "'Why, Mr. Vanslyperken, you look very ill. What has been the matter with you? My mistress will be quite frightened.' "'I have not been well, Babette,' replied Vanslyperken. "'I really must run home as fast as I can. I will tell my mistress you have been unwell.' for otherwise she will be in such a quandary. And Babette hastened ahead of Mr. Vanslyperken, who was in too weak a state to walk fast. "'The syndic's house, eh?' said the widow. "'Mynheer Van Krause. "'Why, he is thorough king's man, by all report,' continued she. "'I don't understand it. "'But there's no trusting any man nowadays. "'Babette, you must go there by and by,' and see if you can find out whether that person he brought over, and he called a king's messenger, is living at the syndic's house. I think he must be, or why would Van Slyperken go there? And if he is, there's treason going on, that's all. And I'll find it out, or my name's not Vandersloosh. Shortly after, Mr. Van Slyperken arrived at the house, and was received with the usual treacherous cordiality. But he had remained more than an hour when Cobble came to him, having been dispatched by short, to inform Mr. Vanslyperken that a frigate was coming in with a royal standard at the main, indicating that King William was on board of her. This intelligence obliged Mr. Vanslyperken to hasten on board, as it was necessary to salute and also to pay his respects on board the frigate. The frigate was within a mile when Mr. Van Slyperken arrived on board of the cutter, and when the battery saluted, the cutter did the same. Shortly afterwards, the frigate dropped her anchor and returned the salute. Mr. Van Slyperken, attired in his full uniform, ordered his boat to be manned and pulled on board. On his arrival on the quarter-deck, Van Slyperken was received by the captain of the frigate, and then presented to King William of Nassau, who was standing on the other side of the deck, attended by the Duke of Portland, Lord Albemarle, and several others of his courtiers, not all of them quite so faithful as the two whom we have named. When Mr. Van Slyperken was brought forward to the presence of His Majesty, he trembled almost as much as when he had beheld the supposed spirit of Smallbones. And well he might, for his conscience told him, as he bowed his knee, that he was a traitor. His agitation was, however, ascribed to his being daunted by the unusual presence of royalty. And Albemarle, as Van Slyperken retreated with a cold sweat on his forehead, observed to the king with a smile, that worthy lieutenant would show a little more courage, I doubt not, your majesty, if he were in the presence of your enemies. It is to be hoped so, replied the king with a smile. I agree with you, Keppel. But his majesty and Lord Albemarle did not know Mr. Van Slyperken, as the reader will acknowledge. End of chapter 40 Recording by Arnold Banner Thurmond, North Carolina.